0: Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. We have spent some time discussing the need to improve access to sleep care. Telemedicine helped us to bridge this gap, but really excludes those who lack access or perhaps the ability to utilize telemedicine. While HSATs can be deployed easily, this really doesn't allow for the evaluation of non-OSA sleep disorders or more complex patients. A few years ago, the AASM held a competition challenging us to reimagine sleep care. The mobile sleep lab was a model that was submitted as a contender in this challenge. Here to tell us more about this are Dr. Mark Boulis, Dr. Luki Chi, and Dr. Oleg Chernyshev. Dr. Lu Chi is a professor of neurology and sleep medicine at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Her areas of clinical interest include outpatient and hospital sleep medicine. Dr. Mark Bullis is an associate professor and staff neurologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center with the University of Toronto in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He is medical lead for Sunnybrook Sleep Lab. Dr. Oleg Chernyshev is a professor of neurology and sleep medicine at LSU HSC at Shreveport, Louisiana. He is currently directing both sleep medicine and vascular neurology programs. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having us.
0: So, Oleg, tell me about this concept of a mobile sleep lab. So, I'm, I'm picturing a sleep lab on wheels. Is that what
1: this is? Uh, yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh mobile sleep medicine care model, that's how we call it, is innovative and progressive patient-centered and integrative, most important, um, uh, clinical outcome-based program. And um, that program uses a methodological tool which we call mobile sleep unit or sleep lab on wheels. And it designed, this program designed pretty much to improve access to uh, obstructive sleep apnea sleep care for, As you know, 80% of Americans um, are not uh, having access, systematic access to sleep medicine care. And we, uh, with this model, provide, if all goes well, with support and uh, systematic implementation, we will be able to cover that gap and provide sleep medicine care for all levels of care, from hospital to home.
0: So how many patients can you serve in one night at one location?
1: Well, uh, currently what we're doing, we um, have um, eight uh, eight, eight, beds, right, you can say, eight studies. So the uh, important uh, important understanding here is that this model allows to expand sleep medicine care 360 degree uh, uh, from hospital to home depending on the need of the community, okay? We have about expansion to eight beds. In other words, we have four beds built in in our sleep lab and, and other eight beds are, uh, are uh, that's a called sleep lab on wheels, right? So we, we're able to uh, deliver portable sleep care sleep medicine unit and I can go you know describe what sleep medicine unit it, itself means. Has three modules, uh, and uh, each uh, module include different level uh, of standard. So, like module one, for example, can include gold standard mobile polysomnography. Module two, silver standard portable, out of center sleep testing, and and here you can include any uh, home sleep apnea testing. You call it HSAT. We call it uh, uh, we call it uh, hospital pub testing, right? It can be uh, as good as that. Hmm. And, uh, um, and also called the HSAT, as you know this, right? And also, um, mo- uh, module three includes uh, pap titration unit. It would be a uh, universal CPAP Papi vaps WAPS ASV unit, which allow us to be pretty much do titration on bedside, if necessary. Okay. Hmm. So, in other words, this model can be utilized uh, at any given community uh, and based on resources community has. The goal is to provide systematic access uh, to sleep medicine care.
0: Help me understand this a little bit more though. So it's a mobile sleep lab and you have four beds, right? So is it is it sort of two techs in this big van?
1: No, 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 no. Uh, it can be done actually. our Japanese colleagues actually developed this. uh, They call it mobile sleep unit when they got this um, uh, electric-powered vehicle, like Mm. minivan, right? Mm -hmm. And they equipped it with four beds, and they come in the neighborhoods and pretty much do the sleep study. This is one of the forms, but uh, what what it means in mobile sleep medicine? It's a level of delivery, so it could be. um delivery could come either with portable technology, like I said, HSAT, or uh, with, uh, in, in our terms, you know, level uh, four, level three, level two, or level one mobile PSG if necessary.
0: So is the tech, so the tech is on site, right? Or is this a remotely attended study? It could be remotely attended or could be on site. So then is it is it considered level one? I mean, is this,
1: is this the same as a PSG? Uh, technically, um, uh, it will depend, again, on resources. If, if we, for example, have a nursing home, right? A nursing home, uh, we can utilize mobile uh, sleep unit. So picture yourself EEG machine, which we use routinely in hospitals, right? Just equipped with uh, uh, additional... Uh, uh, pop machines, right? Mark,
0: tell me about your
1: experience with this.
2: Yeah, it's been extremely helpful and it's allowed us to, uh, you know, facilitate testing of sleep disorders in patients for both clinical purposes and allowed us to actually reach out. Uh, you know, I'm based out of Toronto and we, but we service many rural communities in patients who are unable to come actually to the sleep laboratory in Toronto. We have our, sunny, our center is Sunnybrook. but many patients, it's just simply not feasible. It's maybe several hours away. Mm-hmm. So it's allowed us to test patients who you know, um, who couldn't make it to the sleep laboratory otherwise. Or you know, for example, patients who uh, are in difficult scenarios, uh, ill patients, uh, seniors, we've actually been sometimes using this in p- uh, postpartum women who have a child at home and really cannot leave, you know, don't want to leave mm. the home environments. And it's also allowed us to expand it to both uh, research and clinical purposes. And it's helped us and facilitated, you know, uh, recruitment of a large number of patients for sleep, uh, for, uh, for research studies where we otherwise wouldn't have recruited such a high number.
0: Well, and I think that's a really important point, you know, so in my head, I'm trying to figure out, well, when would I want a patient to have access to a mobile, like a level one study, right? Versus standing on HSAT, if we're primarily dealing with OSA, for example, right? But research, you know, all of a sudden, it feels like you've kind of lowered that barrier of entry for people to participate in research.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um you know, more and more. First of all, I I think we like whenever we're using a level three uh, device, or sometimes what we label also like um yeah like a level three, or sometimes it's also labeled as a you know out of center sleep testing, or sleep test. Uh, one, it always has to be done in conjunction, as Oleg said, with a full uh, clinical program. So there has to be a sleep specialist carefully overseeing these studies, and we know that a large of, number of these studies will actually come up with like equivocal or borderline results and you know how do you interpret that right so you really need a sleep expert to be overseeing a program like this to ensure that you know cases aren't being missed and that patients are being uh, evaluated and treated according to the highest standard but absolutely you know um, when it's done under careful guidance then it could be an extremely useful tool to facilitate testing for a large uh, you know broad population including research subjects
0: So is this sort of intended to serve rural populations or do you kind of see a role for it in maybe a more densely populated city with people who are maybe disadvantaged?
2: I would say both. You know, this really, um, you know, touches on the EDI principles of, you know, equity, diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion, right, that have been really strongly uh, supported uh, by numerous agencies uh, really all over the world, including the AASM. And so I really see that this sort of this approach to medicine, which I think is coming out in other fields and is so important in sleep, can really help break down barriers and help disadvantage populations and, and marginal marginalized uh, marginalized individuals as well.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the hospital program, Doctor Chi. Tell me, tell me about your program. Okay, so
3: Washington University started a. Trying to establish an inpatient sleep medicine problem problem, program a long time ago, I joined them in 2014 to for this program. But prior to that, they struggled to get reimbursement for more than a decade. They Mm. started the EEG EEG inpatient EEG lab, then free did us free sleep studies for many years. Oh wow! Then it was. It just uh, very well received. They everybody knew this program. They would call for consultation, then, then they decide to ex- make it officially an inpatient sleep medicine service. Then finally, they signed a contract in, I believe, two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen. Okay. That's why I was recruited uh, to um, af- uh, officially establish this program and service because I am. I have appointment in neurology, but before I joined WashU, I, I was a sleep medicine uh, physician with the pulmonary critical care, critical care background, and then oh, you know, yeah, they realized and if you do inpatient sleep medicine, this is a totally different population. You have to deal with uh, all kinds of a uh, respiratory failure patient, and invasive non-invasive ventilation um, must be involved. So that's why I joined them, and uh, we started with. Uh, um, two attended uh, sleep studies. We are mobile, completely mobile. With the when you go wherever the patient is located. So two attended sleep studies, which is identical as the, the in lab study. So, and, but uh, but you go where the patient is in the hospital. Yes. Okay. We, okay. Whatever room the patient is, we just normally we require a single room, and for safety purpose, mm. because wires may have a, uh, some safety hazard. So we ask a single room. And if it's not possible, sometimes it's not possible. So we ask, okay, we uh, if you can put patient in bed A, bed A is close to the door. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, bed A, we can do it. In general, our p- policy is no ICU studies. Mm. But in urgent situation, we have done quite a few. Actually, was uh, amazing when you you have dramatic experience in uh, when you do study in ICU. That uh, that's actually very exciting for a sleep physician. Uh, so we did these uh, two attended PSGs, and we have uh, four unattended. We say up to four because okay. we have a uh, when we have an uh, when we have an attended study, we have a technician there on site one. One to one, actually. It, I was going to
0: ask. It is one to one, then. So when you have that room, bed A is the only test. You don't also run one in bed B.
3: No, we can't. <sighs> uh, we we try to make a two. It's very. Uh, it's almost impossible to pick, have two patients in one bed, one mm-hmm. room. So we try to make a, try to make it one technician for two beds in different rooms. We never made it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, we technically, was difficult with the hospital administration, uh, technical computer work, night working show, and uh, nursing station. So too many uh, hurdles, and we couldn't do it. And then so this technician on site will set up unattended study. So there is no additional tech needed. So before this patient, before this tech starts the uh, attended study, um he or she would go to the patient room uh set up unattended in the morning after this the technician finished uh completed the attended then uh, the technician will collect the unattended sleep study device so mm. and then uh the sleep back to sleep lab but our attended study we don't have to download kind of a we use the same uh same software the, will, trans, will be transmitted. All the data will be transmitted to the uh, sleep lab. So we we read the study from the sleep lab. It's just like the same study in okay. our sleep lab. So then they're monitored? Yes, yes, yes. sorry okay. um, right, Just like identical in lab study. But the technician sitting out in the hallway, though.
0: <laughs> so how do you figure out which patient... Um, that you want to order a a sleep? I mean, do you have, is this this robust inpatient sleep medicine program? Is this primarily for obesity, hypoventilation,
3: neuromuscular stuff? Like, how do you figure out which patient? It's it's for entire hospital. So we have all kinds of patients. And actually, we do have some for sleep apnea, maybe half of them, but a lot of them are um, have comorbidities like um, obesity, hypoventilation, um, uh, spinal cord, in, even spinal cord injuries, uh, respiratory failure caused by um, spinal cord injuries or post mm. post surgery. Uh, you name it, any respiratory failure, as long as they see their uh, CO2 elevation, they would call us. Ah, uh, that's where it comes from. Okay, yeah, so we cannot, it's obvious, like we do, we if we OHS. We do study, they even ask us to do the study in, the, in the ICU. Then we can titrate uh, the patient, get recommended settings. And they wouldn't change the settings if the patient uh, leaves the hospital. The patient leave, will leave the hospital with the uh, BiPAP machine or sometimes NIV, uh, sometimes a BiPAP ST, occasionally ventilator. So uh, that they know for sure that would, uh, they, they don't even need a statistics to see how the sleep study shortened ICU stay and the hospital stay.
0: So let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the Mobile Sleep Lab. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine.
4: Prepare for the future of sleep medicine at Sleep Medicine Disruptors 2023, November 3rd through 4th. This hybrid course will provide a unique and virtual learning experience exploring the disruptive innovations altering the healthcare and sleep medicine landscape. Registrants can attend either virtually or in person at the Amesville Hotel in Silicon Valley, California. Register today at aasm.org forward slash events.
0: Welcome back to Talking Sleep. We're talking with Dr. Mark Bolas, Dr. Luki Chi, and Dr. Oleg Chernyshev about the mobile sleep lab. So you mentioned that then you can deploy people on a PAP device, you know, CPAP, BiPAP, ASV, or home ventilator. How do you do this? Is it is it reimbursed
3: because you've done the test in house? Uh, yes, uh, partially. So the uh, sleep study reimbursement is another issue we can discuss. But the PAP device, mm-hmm. um, it, it, because they they review our notes, consultation notes, we put all the medical necessities there, and uh, so they we work with a few one or two DME companies. So they know us and they know that even though the same day they cannot get a re, uh, approval, insurance approval, they know we definitely can pass the, the insurance approval. So they will deliver the machine even before the hospital, uh, the approval. Sometimes they deliver the day of discharge at okay. patient's home.
0: Oh, at their home. Okay, mm-hmm.
3: that's a uh, they required to deliver within twenty four to 48 hours at the patient's home. That's a uh, we we tell them one is uh, to deliver in the hospital. We give them two options. The other one is to uh, deliver at patient's home.
0: Okay, so you mentioned reduction in hospital admissions. Is this
3: something that you have um, demonstrated with this program? Oh, uh, we they do have a statistics, but they wouldn't show us. And but they renew the contract uh, after <laughs> <the bomb> <laughs> based on the statistics. But uh, we have seen a lot of uh, um, publications uh, sh- uh, reduce hospital admission for CHF, COPD. For me, I work ma- mainly. I work on neuromuscular uh, disease. We have seen plenty of publications about uh, less use use of uh, 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 healthcare, less admission, less hospital admissions. Uh, the- and plenty of paper published because they have the machine now. Otherwise they would go to hospital frequently mm-hmm. for shortest breath at night mm-hmm. for aspiration pneumonia. And they would be discharged without the machine, then we'll go back again.
0: So we've talked we've talked a lot about testing, right? You know, we've talked about, you know, Oleg's talking about deploying to different communities and really expanding this role for sleep health, right? And and Mark's talking about, you know really recruiting for research and how this helps, you know, clinically, and and you're talking about inpatient, Um, does this also then, you know, do testing and then treatment and follow-up? What does that look like? Is that still mobile or is this, does it revert back to sort of a traditional model?
1: Well, um, uh, it's exactly, um, uh, you're exactly correct that uh, we just building on traditional model. Based on um, available digital technology and uh, current access to mobile, portable digital robotic devices, right? So, uh, I just would like to emphasize a couple of things here. That mobile uh, sleep medicine unit, or or Doctor Akushla called it mobile sleep medicine lab. It's just a methodology, methodology, okay? Methodology to help us to cover. Um, underserved population, which currently, uh, we have 80% of American population underserved in terms of uh, sleep medicine care, okay? And I'm putting that statement uh, from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine website and and those surveys and studies which were done in terms of uh, need of sleep physicians for the community in the United States, right? So that's why we need to understand that mobile sleep medicine um, model of care will allow us to cover pretty much uh, all uh, components of this pandemic, to address uh, sleep disorders, again, on uh, all levels of care, right? And uh, in other words, it includes hospital medicine, right, plus uh, outpatient medicine, you can put it like that, Uh, but most important thing is that in, in this model, Sleep Medicine Center becomes a headquarter of uh, coordinating and, and management of um, uh, sleep condition in any given patient. Uh, think about it like sleep physician becomes like a pretty much chaperone, where, uh, helping patient to go through the system, uh, no matter where patient enters that system, whether mm-hmm. on acute inpatient level or outpatient level or through sleep village, right? So it's not important how patient enters. Most important that sleep physician is in driving seat and sleep physician based on her training uh, uh, will be able to choose methodology which can be used like portable methodology, right? Or uh, gold standard, we call it silver standard, right? Uh, And choose it based on your training, right? in any given sleep medicine field and, and be able to coordinate care for that patient no matter where patient is.
0: So this sounds like an ACO
1: model. Well, uh, I we can call that any names, but what, uh, again, is driving me personally here and my champion colleagues, which you heard right now, uh, what drives, uh, drives us that uh, we see this pandemic and we want to uh, figure out how we can Take care of that, right, on systematic level.
0: So let's let's figure out, but let's talk about then how we can take this great idea and make it, you know, practical. And oh, so it's just very practical, right? So then, is this is this paid for? Is this you know RPM RTM codes? I mean, how do we get reimbursed if we want to do something like this?
1: Well, right now, what is happening, and that's what you heard uh, from my colleagues, that we are building on existing resources. On traditional model, okay, definitely here we need advocacy. Here we need uh, our colleagues from uh, sleep societies, patient uh, supporting groups, to step in and come on the hill, right, and and uh, make this type of model, mobile sleep medicine model, or any we can call it any other name, right? Integrative model, it can be any name, but meaning of that needs to be that, that we need to meet the uh, needs of that pandemic and provide sleep medicine care for all communities who need it, right? And especially if uh, I'm um, observing a lot of problems, like we have about 36 uh, million people admitted to hospital, right? And uh, 80%, uh, 70, 80% of them are, Having uh, cardiovascular, and cerebrovascular conditions, which we all know very high in our population, right? And we know that those people with cerebrovascular, cardiovascular conditions, CHF, right? AFib, strokes, um, MIs, those patients at high risk for, for example, obstructive sleep apnea specifically, right? And uh, for now, they are not routinely screened, they're not routinely evaluated, right? Only again, in championships facilities like uh, Dr. Vova's facility, uh, Chi and our facility, we're trying to do it uh, uh, with our local resources, but it needs to be something on major scale. That um, means that every physician who is working with the system of care would be able to run this type of operation, right, from hospital to home and, and be able to coordinate care on all levels. So
0: you mentioned the need for advocacy. So we invited Eric Albrecht to join us. He is an ASM staff member and does just a wonderful job with advocacy. And so I'm hoping that he can um he can help us understand how we can be more involved in advocacy. Um he has you know he's taught me over the years how to communicate with my representatives, for example, and how to participate in Hill Day. Um, he helped us with the Phillips recall, for example. So I would love to turn it over to him um, to help us better understand what advocacy is, how it works, and how we can become more involved. Eric, what what advice do you have for us?
4: <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Coleslaw. Uh, well, again, all of the doctors on this call know the positive impact of this care. And it's important to tell you know our story and our patient stories to policymakers that mobile healthcare clinics and mobile sleep labs are a way to bridge the access of care gap in sleep medicine. So um, you know m- mobile health clinics in general, as mentioned before, they serve underprivileged populations, and there's over over 59 of patients that go to mobile health clinics are racial and ethnic minorities. Mm. So this is really you know this is really you know an equity issue. And, you know, the other thing to look at, obviously, you know, reimbursement is something that is, you know, a long battle, but people can, um, you know, access, you know, federal funds, you know, and grants to, you know, you know, um, bring about, you know, more mobile sleep labs. So um, last year there was a bill that passed Congress, which I know is a rarity nowadays, called the Mobile Health (laughs) Act. Which was Senate Bill um, 958, which was signed into law last year. And so that, it, you know, allows grants. So there's um, these new access point grants. And you can, so previously you had to propose a permanent brick and mortar site at the same time as, you know, proposing a mobile site. And under this legislation, which will go into effect in 2024, um, you can just use your NAP grant to propose a mobile site without a brick and mortar place as well, and you know again this is an important step to you know increasing the amount of mobile sites you know nationwide. Mm. Um, but again, this this is something that needs funding, and these NAP grants um, again need to be you know increased you know to meet you know to match this demand. And so, obviously, 2024 is still a few months away, but, you know, this is something that people can consider that federal funding and local funding and state funding are something that can help people, you know, bring this into their, you know, practice.
0: You said um, you did a lot of free studies for 10 years before you could get it established and then you were recruited elsewhere. Um, Do you have any advice for us if we want to do something like you're doing without doing free studies and waiting 10 years i think the best way to do is um
3: to show the uh, uh, statistics Mm -hmm. So start it demonstrate
0: uh, some sort of savings
3: yes but you know this this is so obvious it really uh, since i came just without our study they much, much longer ICU stay and uh, hospital stay. For example, patient admitted AYHS into ICU, then immediately they call the council, sleep medicine council. So patient, the night, the patient uh, discharged to the floor, we do the study. And the patient discharged most likely next day, next one one or two days. So you you can tell without even the uh, statistics, this is much uh, faster, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in that in a paper that we published in Stroke, we uh, actually randomized 250 stroke patients and TIA patients to uh, either uh, traditional, just in laboratory testing for sleep versus an ambulatory approach, such as like the mobile sleep unit here. And we were actually able to show that there was a significant cost savings for um for uh for for testing. So hmm. I mean again this is one way just like what uh L- Lucia is saying is that we can actually quantify and and uh you know we can actually quantify the savings here and that might be useful for future discussions around um you know cost effectiveness as well as reimbursement.
0: That's a really excellent point and I think you know we also then you know, Dr. Chi was telling us uh, in a previous conversation about how she also does remote adjustment of the devices and how she manages them longitudinally. So can you, can you speak
3: on that for a little bit? Oh, yes. I think that should be a very important part of a mobile sleep medicine program because sleep medicine is a chronic disease management. It's all about chronic disease management, not all about diagnosis. So it's not really a diagnostic specialty. So management, I we have more experience with uh, NIV, non-invasive ventilation, instead of CPAP for sleep apnea. So we after patient discharged, a lot of times we don't have uh, the time to do the study in the hospital, so we all rely on the outpatient. Uh, it's called outpatient management. Mm. We adjust settings. We, we review the data monthly, and we adjust settings. And we, um, that's how we manage the patient, and especially then with the Zoom, Zoom visit, telemedicine medicine, that's just so perfect. I have a lot of patients I don't even need to see them in person. And uh, so, but if this is something reimbursed. That's why I think it's more, probably you get it faster than the inpatient sleep study. Oh, in wow. Inpatient sleep study, you have to talk to, uh, you have to talk to administration, you have to negotiate a contract, and you have to have a re- be paid. You got to be paid a reading that you are happy with. And so, but this outpatient management, you you have a billing code. There are billing codes, one billing code for a physician and uh, uh, mid-level uh, providers. They, un- they even have a two billing codes for nurses and uh, medical assistants.
1: Yeah, and it's very interesting, Dr. Chi, that, uh, for example, if you decide to do nocturnal oximetry in the hospital, it will be paid. But if you decide to do type 3 device, so even uh, device with tonometry, right, it's not going to be covered. Okay, but we're also but we're also just talking about the testing, right?
0: Because if you do an inpatient sleep consultation, the professional should still be covered, right? That's not yes, part yeah. of the DRG.
3: Yes. So your counsel is covered. Your uh, interpretation of the study will be covered, but not your technical part. Well, and
0: so it sounds like you guys have created these really great strides, right? This, you know, you've you've challenged us to kind of think about sleep in another way, and hopefully maybe how we can bring this back to our own institutions and think about really improving access to care. So any final thoughts for us?
1: Uh, yes, uh, I just would like to uh, thank audience for listening and um, uh, encouraging us to continue and uh, also would like encourage actually audience to uh, uh, look around and uh, uh, see that uh, sleep is actually a human right. We need to fight for sleep as a human right, okay? Uh, that will bring us uh, all necessary uh, sleep care for our patients and uh, obviously uh, get great benefit to society. Dr. Chi,
3: final thoughts? Yes, I just want to promote the outpatient therapeutic Therapeutic monitoring, I just want to um, say it's super important, with the associated with the very high patient satisfaction, and you get paid. Uh, it adds up. The payment may not be too much, but it adds up.
0: <laughs> it does add up. You're right.
3: Yeah, I think it's worth it. Actually, remote patient monitoring consists of major part of my productivity.
0: It does. Okay, that's good to know. Let's get to know. Mark, final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really exciting approach that will break down barriers across society. And, uh, and, you know, just highlighted by the COVID pandemic, we can see how bad these things can get. So I think this is a terrific approach and um, and you uh, know, we look forward to expanding it further and really, uh, you know, looking at pairs for this model and uh, strong advocacy work across the world. So thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Eric, thoughts?
4: Again, I think it's you know just important for everybody to tell their story about the impact. And again, when we hear about these cost savings in the increased access of care, it's you know it's really remarkable that we haven't seen this blow up more. Um, so I think policymakers need to know about this. And again, we'll see this you know grow and grow over the years.
0: Well, thank you all so much for joining us today and helping us better understand mobile sleep as well as the role of advocacy.
1: Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at AASM.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Sima Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.